Well, good morning. Actually, I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. Because what I wanted to read was something. If, if Oh, by the way, I, my name's Doug. I'm the administrative pastor here at Verde Valley Christian Church, and I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning. And if you've ever heard me speak before, thank you for staying till the end. Um, and... I usually always tell a joke, and I wasn't going to tell a joke, and it's not really a joke, but it might make you giggle. Just this morning, I'm not a guy that does resol- you know, New Year's resolutions, but just this morning, I read this, and it says, I always say morning instead of good morning, because if it was a good morning, I would still be in my bed and not talking to people. <laughs> and it just so happens that God just ministered to my heart, something that might not sound profound to you, but it was for me of, Doug, you need to embrace where you need to be, not where you want to be, okay? And that's, that's a decision of the will. So that's kind of what, even this morning, what God has spoken to my heart. So this morning, the sermon is called Reset 2023. And here we are. Uh, in a new year. 2022 is behind us. And for many of us, I think this is an opportunity to, to look back uh, and to look in the past and to evaluate uh, our progress in life and to kind of uh, just consider different things, especially spiritually, to look at, at our spiritual growth or lack thereof. And looking forward, hopefully, to a reset in this coming year. We cannot call a do-over. We can't say, I'd like to do 2022. We don't have that opportunity, but we can and we should reset our course with intentional steps to be closer to where God wants us to be. And for me, what, what that process involves, it's, it's a process of reminding myself of some key foundational truths. Really, and the sermon this morning will be really three key points. First, and most importantly, remembering who God is and what value that he has placed in me. That's the first one. Second, examining my heart and making an honest assessment of my spiritual progress and my spiritual struggles. And then third, considering what my response is to those first two things. And how my response to those things is demonstrated in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions, and in my priorities in life. I've often said, I have a little note that I made in my Bible that's probably 30-some years, uh, I made 30-some years ago that says the two most important things in this life are first, knowing God, and second, knowing ourselves. Our response to these two things will determine our eternal destiny knowing who God is, knowing who we are, and how we respond to those things will determine our eternal destiny. It tells us in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Robert was just eight years old when his father died. His mother was a godly woman, and she longed for her son to become a man of God. But being poor and widowed, she was forced to send Robert away to London at the age of 14 to apprentice as a barber. In London, away from his family, he fell in with a gang of youths who influenced him to live a life of sin and debauchery. 
His behavior became so atrocious that his family refused to be responsible for his actions. And one day, Robert and his companions decided to disrupt a gospel meeting. A famous preacher was there, and they would be proclaiming the gospel. And they decided that they were going to disrupt this meeting and mock the people attending. However, God had different plans for Robert. And instead of mocking, Robert's heart was touched once again by the gospel message that he'd been raised with for the first 14 years of his life. And within a couple weeks, he turned back to the God that he loved and had served early in his life. And this salvation in him produced a deep desire for him to learn and to know the things of God. He went on to become a very gifted preacher and a theologian and contributed much to God's kingdom work. At age 23, Robert Robinson wrote the song that we sang earlier, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in this psalm, we saw those words that his salvation was beautifully explained, but also he used words in this hymn that would become prophetic in describing the future episodes of his wandering heart. Even though the hymn was written at a time when he was close to the Lord, he saw in himself, perhaps even from his past, that he was prone to wonder, that he was prone to leave the God he loved. And this is where the story gets really interesting. There were periods of his life that he did wander. He lapsed after this. He lapsed back into sinful ways. And he had periods of great spiritual instability. Some 30 years after composing this song, he was riding in a stagecoach. This was back in the mid-1700s. He was riding in a stagecoach, traveling through the English countryside. A lady sitting near him in the coach was obviously enjoying a hymn she was reading. She was humming the tomb and singing the words aloud. She turned to the stranger beside her, held open the hymn book to him, and asked him if he'd ever heard that hymn. As he read these words, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The stranger was silent. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. <laughs> the stranger was silent for a long moment, and then he burst into tears and said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who composed that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings that I had then. The very words that he had penned had been returned to him by the grace and providence of God to again recapture his wandering heart. The God who saved him, the God who called him, the God who longed after him was the same God who restored him by his own words. So we have some questions to ask ourselves. How often have each of us wandered away from God? 
can we not see this very same tendency in our own hearts and, and feel how truly prone we are to drift away? The God who caused Robert Robinson to be restored to him is the God who in his forbearance yearns after us. He longs for us and waits for us to turn our wandering hearts back to him. The unrelenting, forgiving grace of Jesus pursues us even in seasons of life when we are blind to our spiritual apathy and our wandering hearts. And the enemy of our soul would have us believe the lie that God doesn't love us, that God won't pursue us or forgive us, and that we're not worth his effort. It's a lie that's obvious when we turn back to the gospel truth. For some of us here today, we just need to make a small reset, a small adjustment back to those basic understandings of who God is, who we are, and what our response is demonstrated through our lives. Other of us here today might have wandered further away. However, we're all in the same boat with this. We all need a continued reset in, staking, in taking steps closer to where God wants us to be. I can say this with 100% certainty. And the only way I wouldn't be 100% certain is if one of you was actually dead and had already stepped into eternity. So I'm pretty sure none of you are like that at this point. <laughs> Nobody here today is finished with the good work that God began in us. We all have steps to take. He's still working in our life. So we're going to look at three reset points, three things that I talked about earlier. And the first one is knowing who God is, knowing God. And this is the most important, okay? This sets all the rest of the other two steps. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies. We were estranged. We were hopelessly lost. And who is God? God is the one that loves us and sent his son to die for us. It tells in Psalms 23, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And we think of the words of the song that Robert wrote many, many years ago that talked about his salvation through Jesus. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. God's goodness and God's love are unfailing. Ours, not so much, okay? God's face is never, and we can talk with these kind of absolutes because it's the very character of God. God's face is never turned away from his children. We're the ones that make the decision instead to turn away from him, to wander away from him. It tells us in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that be, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God pursues us. He rescues us, he delivers us, and his mercy, grace, and goodness are never-ending. And if that's not enough, 
David, the psalmist, asked God in Psalm 17 to, he, asking this to God, he says, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings. And I don't know if you've ever come across that verse before, but, but what is, the heck is the apple of the eye? That's a Hebrew term, and what it means is it, it literally translates little man. And it speaks of the reflection that you can see in someone's eye when they're intently focused on you, okay? What the eye does, it makes it a little man. So the Hebrews called it uh, the apple of the eye, okay? And God, be assured of this, God is keeping his eye on us. For you that have trouble understanding how much God loves you, it's not to squash you like a bug when you screw up. That's not why God has his eye upon you. It's because he loves you, and he yearns after you. He's thinking about you. He treasures you. He wants to shower you with his grace and his mercy and goodness, despite our wandering hearts. Our unfaithfulness never alters God's pursuit of his children. Just because we're unfaithful does not mean that God will be unfaithful to us. We need to remember that. We only need to look at the cross to understand how he values us, what he paid for us, the price that he paid. We should understand the value that God places in us. So that's the first point, knowing who God is. The second reset point is knowing who we are and examining our hearts. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of ever everlasting. And then I'm going to jump right, I don't know if this one's on the screen or not, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts, and examine secret motives. So if we think back to Robert's song, the words in the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He was talking about knowing his heart. And it was really, the song is a confession of knowing and understanding our hearts and that our hearts can wander. It's a confession that he's making in that song. And whether or not we're honest with ourselves, God knows our heart. Okay, He knows our heart, and we're encouraged in Scripture to examine ourselves. Self-examination, confession, and repentance, in my experience, is always a better option than choosing to ignore God's Spirit's promptings and, do, uh, and to attempt to disguise our wandering hearts. Okay, Choosing our way instead of, instead of God's way, the all-knowing God, denying His way, He's revealed his will for us. When we choose to deny that, what the Bible calls that is the way of a fool, okay, of choosing our way above his way. Again, our hearts are prone to wander. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death, okay? And that's the way of our wandering hearts. <clears throat> we can almost be certain that we will frequently take the way that will give us the least amount of pain and discomfort, the least amount of sacrifice, regardless of whether or not it's the right way. It's only by deception and spiritual blindness that we refuse to admit this tendency in our hearts. 
And when we're 100% honest, what it really comes down to, and, and I had to say this for the first time, which I'm, it took me 40 years to actually say this and admit this because it wasn't supposed to be anything that I ever admitted, is what it really comes down to is unbelief. I don't believe when my heart wanders and I go my own way, I don't believe that God can come through. It's unbelief. I think that my way is probably better than God's way. I say, no, I got this one, God. I, I got this one. I can take care of this one. No, it's, it's unbelief in who God is. Psalm 51, verses 6 and 10 says, Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God knows our hearts, and we need to agree with him in his assessment and cry out to him for his rescue, his cleansing, and his continued renewal. He's asking us to do that. And knowing your heart, when you know and understand your heart, it should bring a desperate cry for God's rescuing grace. And you need to, you need to remember this too. This isn't just a one-time event that happens when you step into relationship with Christ. It's something that should happen over and over and over again. Almost each and every day, a cry for God's rescuing grace. Okay, and the realization that it's easy to slip into our own ways. And as we deepen in our understanding of who God is and who we are through his word, through the relationships that he's put us in, through his Holy Spirit's revelation, we move closer to the center of God's will and closer to our created purpose of intimacy of relationship with him. That's where God wants us to be, okay? Knowing your heart was the second point. So first we had knowing who God is. Second, we had knowing our hearts. Now the third is our response to the first two. How do we respond to those things? Because it's a choice. It's a choice that we make each and every day. I'm going to read a, a quote by Paul Tripp. We would like to think that our hearts are faithful and true, but they're not. We would like to think that nothing could lure us away from our loyalty loyalty to the Lord, that our moral commitments are unshakable, and that we are never attracted to what God says is wrong. The big issue for us is not that we live in a broken world with its difficulties and sufferings, but that sin still resides in our hearts. It distorts our thoughts and desires. It's humbling, but important to remember that it is the sin inside us that connects us to the sin outside of us. So what we need most is not a change of location or relationship, but a fundamental rescue of heart. And that is exactly what God's grace in the person of the Holy Spirit provides for us. Again, if we think back at the song, the song that Robert Robinson wrote was really speaking also of choices in action. He starts with, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And when I thought about that, it's like, how do you tune a heart? And I thought back on a time that I was, that I, I can't even say I was a hopeful guitar player because there was no hope for me. But, but David was, I was working with David and he, he, he said something always stuck in my head. He says, you always tune up. So you always stretch the string when you're tuning a guitar to get it in tune. You don't tune down, you tune up, okay? And so I relate that to this. It's like, tune my heart to sing thy grace. God needs to stretch us and to tune our heart 
so that we can sing his grace. And our hearts need continual tuning because they get out of tune, if you will, okay? The second thing he says, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Again, these are action steps. Praise him for giving us what we, not giving us what we deserve. That's what mercy is. He doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve judgment, okay? And when we realize we're not getting what we deserve, that should elicit a praise coming from us. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. We need to be grace debtors. We need to appreciate and reach and seek after God's grace each and every day. We sang the song this morning. We need to be grateful for his amazing grace, giving us what we don't deserve in our lives. The next phrase, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. David explained this a little bit earlier, too, about we need to proclaim his goodness. Proclamation of God's goodness is like a glue that binds our heart to him. Even making that proclamation when things aren't good, we still can proclaim God's goodness. That's what binds our wandering hearts to him. I remember several of the missionaries that I've dealt with over the years would... whose lives were very challenging, very difficult, very non-Western Christianity. And the thing that came out of their mouth most often was God is good. Because that proclamation was binding their hearts to God. It's a characteristic of God that we need to remind ourselves of day after day after day. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That talks about a surrender. We're surrendering our hearts to our Heavenly Father. He will and has promised to keep our hearts and guard our hearts. We need to make that step of surrender to Him. We need to choose, because it's a choice, we need to choose to turn our heart toward Him. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded. When we choose to seek him, when we choose to know that our greatest need is for his grace because we have wandering hearts, when we do that, and then when we respond with a broken and contrite spirit, when we humble ourselves and surrender, then our actions will demonstrate that. Our words will demonstrate that. Our priorities in life will demonstrate that when we've made that decision to turn back towards him. We can trust him with everything in our lives when we've made that decision of surrender and to let him do what he does and to not lift our own will above the will of God. There's a verse out of Jude that I've always loved and it's always been kind of a a central verse for me to just to remind myself. It's an anchoring verse for me. So uh, I would ask that you look at this verse and, and that you allow it to be an encouragement to you and a confession about God's power to keep you and to bind his wandering hearts to him. It tells us in, the, in this verse that we are his joy and his delight. Jude, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling into sin and to present you unblemished, blameless and faultless, in the presence of his glory with triumphant joy and unspeakable delight to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time and now 
and forevermore. Amen. Reset 2023. There's no better time than today. It's the first day of a new year to examine your heart, to remember who God is, to remember his equipping in your life, to remember the price that he paid for you, and to respond to that as a, great, as a grace debtor, to ask him again to tune your heart to sing his grace with songs of love's grace. Draw near to him, okay, and he's promised that he will draw near to us. Seek him, and as he's promised, he will bind our hearts and seal it for his courts above. We're going to close <clears throat> by singing that song again. David's going to come up, and we're going to sing that song again. And I, I, David's done a wonderful job explaining what that song means to you. And, and I've told Robert Robertson's story. I want that to be my story. And I want that to be my praise. And so let this, let this song be your prayer. Let it be your praise. Let it be your confession. Because above all, you need to remember that God loves you right where you are. And he loves you too much to leave you there. Okay? He wants to work in your life. So let's sing this song. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest Seal it for thy courts of God.
Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are thankful. Our hearts are filled with gratitude as we consider who you are and how much you love us, what your glorious plans are for us. Father, help us to know our hearts. Help us to seek you. Uh, Father, to seek your strength and your encouragement as we walk uh, in a world that's sometimes difficult. Father, we know that you are with us and we, we uh, press into your promises for us. So, Father, I pray that each and every person here today uh, would have hearts open to you, Father, would be seeking you, Father, and would sense your presence this year, throughout this year, in a way that they never have before. And we'll thank you in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we invite anybody that would like prayer. We have a prayer team over this side of the stage. And next week, we're starting a new part of our series of reality, the story of reality, Jesus. So come back and see us next week. God bless you guys.